It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Should Sitka Assembly members get a pay raise? They haven't in over two decades, and tonight the Assembly will consider whether to adjust their own pay. According to a memo from City Administrator John Leach, who is sponsoring the ordinance, the Assembly salary hasn't increased since 2002. Currently, the mayor earns $500 a month and Assembly members earn $300. The proposed ordinance would increase the pay by around 60%, just under the calculated rate of inflation for the last 21 years, bumping the Assembly salary to $500 a month and the mayor's salary to $800 a month. All in all, it would amount to around an $18,000 increase to the city's annual budget. The ordinance is timely, since only four Sitkins have filed to run for three open assembly seats this fall. Only one candidate filed for three open seats on the Sitka School Board. School Board members do not receive any compensation. The increase for assembly pay, if approved, wouldn't go into effect until after the election. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. A 2017 tugboat sinking in Sitka has resulted in a settlement of over $1 million from the National Pollution Funds Center. The amount of fuel spilled from the sunken tug, while not large, came at a critical time in the life cycle of herring in Sitka Sound. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. The tugboat Powhatan sank at its moorings in Stargavin Bay, just north of Sitka, on April 17, 2017. Sinkings aren't uncommon in Sitka, and it wasn't until a few days later that the State Department of Environmental Conservation issued a situation report, and residents learned this was unexpectedly bad. The Powhatan, which we at KCAW were still learning to pronounce, have been dragged by currents into deep water with over 300 gallons of fuel on board. Here's what Sitkins heard on the news. The 81-foot tugboat Powhatan, owned by Samson Tug and Barge, sank at its dock in Stargavin Bay. The tug then slid under the pier and drifted about 300 yards offshore, where it was located by divers from Hanson Maritime Company. The tug's owner, the DEC, the Coast Guard, and CPRO, the Southeast Alaska Petroleum Response Organization, all responded, deployed boom, and eventually defueled the Powhatan. But by then, the damage had been done. At that emergent life stage, it does not take very much oil to have an injury to, to herring. Erica Ammon is a biologist with the National Marine Fisheries Service and one of the co-authors of the Final Damage Assessment and Restoration Plan for the Tug Powhatan oil spill. In March, the news in Sitka is all about herring and their eggs, the commercial sacro fishery, the subsistence row on hemlock harvest. In April, after everyone, marine mammal, fish, human, bird, has had their fill of eggs, the herring larva hatch. That's right, when the Powhatan sank, and that's why it was so serious, although not nearly as large as a famous blowout in the Gulf of Mexico seven years earlier. It wasn't that the spill was like incredibly large, you know, it wasn't a deep water horizon or anything like that. But the just the timing of it and the location of it was what really struck us as something that was important for us to to pay attention to and to have some kind of, you know, restoration for. Using data from herring spawn surveys conducted that spring by the Alaska Department of Fish and Game, along with aerial photographs of the extent of the visible oil sheen, 
plus research on the susceptibility of herring larvae to diesel fuel, Ammon's team estimated that 25.4 billion juvenile herring had died in the spill. That kind of precision was possible, Ammon says, because of the Sitka Sound Science Center, which under then-research director Tori O'Connell had joined the effort to learn how badly herring had been affected. That's what we hope to be as, as a local science center, is a responsive local agency that, that can respond to need when, when it arises. Lauren Bell is the current research director at the Sitka Sound Science Center, which will play a large role in the restoration plan for the Powhatan spill. After the tug's owner reached the limits of liability for the accident, the National Marine Fisheries Service applied to the Oil Spill Liability Trust, and this past June settled for $1.3 million. The lion's share of that money will be divided between two projects for increased shellfish monitoring on Starragavan Beach by the Sitka Tribe and for marine debris cleanup on beaches where herring commonly spawn. The Science Center already has the logistics in place and cleans beaches every year. Bell says removing marine debris is advantageous for herring. It's helping with returning natural sediment flow in these habitats and not interfering with the permeability of those sediments. So my understanding is that if you have marine debris in an environment, that it can stress the seaweeds and seagrasses that are in the area, and all that abrasion and smothering can be bad news for herring. The downside of the restoration plan is that beach cleanup is temporary. Most of the marine debris in Sitka Sound originates elsewhere and is an ongoing problem. Erica Ammon says the restoration plan is not a magic bullet to forever protect herring. Rather, it's short-term and attainable by design. We aren't assuming that, oh, you know, we cleaned this and we can walk away and that, that it will be restored forever. We have a very limited timeline as far as what we think our restoration benefits will get be from a single marine debris cleanup. The Powhatan was on the bottom of Stargavin Bay for almost two months before crews managed to bring it up with an enormous crane in the middle of June 2017. Last week, salvage crews raised the Powhatan and placed it aboard a barge for a ride south to a Seattle scrapyard. That would be the end of the story, except in Sitka Sound, the story never ends. Just last year, during the height of the herring spawn in March, yet another ocean-going tug, the Western Mariner, ran aground in Olga Strait, just a few miles from where the Powhatan went down. Because herring eggs are less vulnerable than larvae, the Western Mariner fuel spill may prove less harmful overall. Erica Ammon says she's working to find out. There's a new bluegrass outfit in town. They call themselves Tumbleweed Stew, and they're bringing twangy tunes to Sitka's downtown. KCAW's Meredith Reddick went to listen and chat with the buskers and their four-legged friends. Out on Lincoln Street next to the Coliseum Theater, there's a new band in town. Roman, Claire, Isaac, and Jasper have been traveling around Southeast this summer. They're not sure how long they'll be in Sitka. That's kind of why we call it tumbleweeds too, because we're like a bunch of tumbleweeds. And we just kind of roll across the country and play music when we meet up with each other. Their sound incorporates the usual fiddle, guitar, and banjo, plus a lesser-known bass instrument that packs a powerful punch. Roman calls it a gut bucket. It's a bucket, a string, and a stick. And you play it by how high tension you have on the drum head of the bucket and you just match the pitch and you go thump thump. Nope. 
group also includes dogs Bjorn and Zena, and a cat on a long leash named Theodore. Jasper says with this trip, Theodore has visited nearly every state in the Union. What's the last state he has to go to? Hawaii, but I don't want to put him on a plane. Theodore offered no comment on whether he likes Alaska, but Isaac says the rest of the group has received a warm welcome. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Meredith Reddick. The Harvest Fest in Juneau celebrated another growing season Saturday. Usually, there's a long wait list for the four-acre garden, but this year, there's space for beginners. As KTOO's Yvonne Crumry reports, new community gardens in Thane and at the Glory Hall shelter mean there's a lot more space to go around. Each year, the Juneau Community Garden celebrates the growing season with a harvest fair, complete with prizes for the best vegetables grown. On a table covered in vegetables, one stands out. It's a turnip with a face made out of carrots. Long stalks of turnip greens fan out around it, and a hook-shaped carrot sits on its head. Sophie and Mateo Achave created octopus on a hook. They're this year's youth champions of the harvest fair. Does that say grand champion on it? Yeah, division champion. And then Juno Community Garden class champion. Sophie's nine years old. Her brother Mateo is five. He's a bit shyer. Both are first-time gardeners. Their mom, Katie, asks what they learned this year. What, what did we discover, guys, that we learned? Larva, mics, <laughs> turnips. When you grow things, you just don't know how it's going to turn out, right? And they aren't the only first-timers this year, says the garden secretary, Pat McClear. With the first season at the Thane Community Garden underway, the waitlist at the Juno Community Garden is about half its normal length. The garden has 170 regular plots. Each bed costs $35 a year and requires five hours of service in the garden, like helping manage the weeds. Thane's new community garden, with 40 beds so far, has taken some of the pressure off. And now, residents at Juno Shelter, the Glory Hall, have their own community garden, too. All this means that most people on this year's waiting list have a good chance of getting in. But McClear says people should sign up soon. And if they're hesitating because they don't know where to start, McClear says other gardeners will help them out. If you're a rookie, you could walk up to anybody who's out and say, we got a minute, and, and people will give you the minute and help you out. McClear says there's a wealth of knowledge to tap into around the garden. In Juneau, I'm Yvonne Cremery. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is Morning.